to the Waking Up From Work podcast. My name is Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 154 of the show tonight. This is where we get to work, making work a passion, living, creative, full-time. If you're new to this show, this is where we interview artists, entrepreneurs, creatives, and people living alternative lives, doing the things that they want to do instead of the things that sometimes we feel like we're supposed to do. So another interview tonight This is probably the first interview coming at me from the Philippines. So (laughs) awesome there, man. You just christened it this way. So uh, a connection through John at the Greenhouse Studio, who's been on here. And that's the best part of having like a a community like this. You just keep meeting really cool people. I had the opportunity to meet. I've got J. Mark also known through his project in the electronic and hip hop music space, Shin Min from out of the Philippines, but originally from Massachusetts. I met J. Mark through a call just uh, when NFT and things like that were really starting to get some hype to better understand the space because he's done some projects and extensive readings and writings in the space on that. So jumped in and learned a little bit from him that day and got to meet him. And he's just got a ton of different areas to share with us, both in the creative and entrepreneurial space. So if you haven't met or seen J-Mark or Jinmin Project before, he is a, like I said, an electronic and hip hop artist himself in this project that focuses on matters, both political and passionate pieces for what he writes off of. He's also an early Bitcoin and crypto investor and very successful there and a filmmaker and executive producer in a bunch of different spaces, classically trained in music and also training under other people in terms of the DJ and producer stuff like that. So basically a lot of different things in this one man that we're going to talk about tonight. So J Mark, even though we've been chatting before the show for actually like a half hour or something like that, welcome to the show, yeah. man. Thank you Thank for, you. for being on the, the show and taking some time off of this crazy time zone difference that we have to be on, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I'm sorry about motorcycle shop across the street. I don't know if that's... <laughs> <laughs> I did hear it, but I think we've had totally other things happen with some other people. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's early in the morning here it's about eight forty-five. so a 13 hour difference so yeah everybody's getting to work right at the moment it's kind of the other side of the world right other <laughs> yeah man so i guess like like i started getting this story when we were just trying to like break down what we were like getting into tonight but for people that don't know your project man they don't know you do you want to just kind of like run people through like we talked about like music production film production, crypto, and there's, there's a lot of different things in terms of what makes up you. Do you want to talk people through like, who is J Mark? Who is Jinmin? And, and kind of like, how did this all come to be? Honestly, you just told me a lot of this story, but I think it's like really valuable. And, and I would love you to frame awesome. that out for us here. Sure. You know, Jinmin, I see as like a project, a character, persona, and a mouthpiece for basically a lot of the artificial intelligence work that I do. It doesn't actually get into any of the technical details, but it talks a lot about artificial general intelligence and mm. and the mathematics that I worked on that basically I think will usher in what we would call the singularity. I'm not claiming that any sort of computer has been built, but I'm saying like I've got the blueprints for, for something like that. And that, you know, this computer is probably so powerful. It has influence back in time. Like it probably would come and come up with some sort of like time travel device in the future in order to communicate with us now. <laughs> okay. That is a <laughs> lot. <laughs> That's a lot to start out with. Yeah, so, I just figured I'd just hit you with that one. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like I, I, I didn't read all of your papers all the way through, but... Yeah. I started to, and it's very potent for someone that doesn't live in that space at all. Like, I know that you've been studying this shit for years and you have your PhD and you've been spending hard time doing a lot of things in the space. So for me, when I'm reading it, it's 
very potent information, but I feel like it's good for me because it's nice to read things that challenge your, it's nice to read things that you don't just like cruise right through. Like you have to like sit there and like digest and be like, what's happening here. And that's how I feel when I'm reading your papers in that space. So I guess like walk me through, cause now we, we just talked about a bunch of different things. Now you're in the Philippines and, and you mentioned earlier that you're in like basically a retirement visa to be there or early retirement from a lot of these successes early on in your life. Talk me through like young age, J. Mark, you told me that you were literally like 12 uh, writing sonatinas and things like that. Like talk me through that time frame to like where we get to like where we're at right now. And then I'll, I'll totally pick in on some of the things that you're about, man. Yeah, sure. I mean, around the time I was 16, I would say I really kind of like was mature as a composer. And I was writing mostly for piano and and usually one other instrument like violin or clarinet. Uh, I did write an orchestral piece when I was about 18, uh, which I had performed and I conducted at Tanglewood. That's really cool. Tanglewood. Yeah, I was was at the Boston University Tanglewood Institute around that time. And then, you know, there's there's another composer who kind of came pretty big out of there. His name was Nico Muley. Actually, I'm so jealous of him because he got to work with Seager Rose. And Seager Rose is just one of my all-time favorite bands. So, yeah, and he's kind of like really changed my view on a lot of things. He's just two years younger than I am. So he was always kind of like ahead of me in in that sense. Tanglewood, basically, and and I was at New England Conservatory Extension Division High School and just kind of got involved with classical music, listening to like really far out stuff, avant-garde, like the modernist stuff, Milton Babbitt, introduced to Schoenberg and to Berg, Bayburn and the differences between their serialist techniques. I love their, dude, I love all of that stuff. Yeah, I, I love that, I that like century of music. And Scher- yeah, I like Scherenberg, all that stuff. You know, I don't really listen to it so much anymore, anymore. Like when, when I, you know, so it's, it's, it's like, I used to really, like used to really get me to think. And that's what I like about it. Yeah, me too. Um, but it's not like sit down and listen to it. You know? It's a lot, but it it's very potent things. Just like I was saying with reading your papers for me, but their music is very potent for me, but it does make me think a lot when I listen to it. I like to listen to yeah. it when I'm like, trying to brainstorm or like when I'm cooking or something like that. It makes me think about stuff. Yeah. So I, I kind of became a post-serialist in my early college years. I went to Indiana University School of Music there. And yeah, so I'd say my, my biggest classical piece was a, a for piano and cello. And I, like Elliot Carter was really the composer that I, I really latched on to around that time and uh, read his harmony book and uh, just got, really got into post-serialism by basically messing up serialism. Cause you know, to me, serialism is like this fascist thing. So yeah, it's like about yeah. how you mess it up and kind of make it sound like serialism while all the serialists are like, how can I make this fascist thing sound listenable? Right. Uh, so I did it the opposite, right? I mean, I'm not saying all serialists are fascists because that's not true, but you know what I mean. I do. And then I started doing like this anti music stuff, right? I was doing this uh, based on music concrete, right? And I would just multi track improvisations that I wouldn't change. And they would, it would become like this cohesive, like, piece but it was also like with some form to it but like it was also like completely unlistenable and, and like horrible uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I call it avant grunge <laughs> <laughs> that sounds legit dude yeah so i was really into grunge music around that time or, well a little bit before that but like the nirvana and high school and stuff like that i got into electronic music i was like an early raver and, and i guess i was a late raver because i was young so like i, I was lucky enough to get in some late 90s raves and just kind of got into dance music. I just really felt it. That just kind of, that is what I would say was the start of the Jinmen project. Like, like getting into dance music because I started to make my own dance music trance influenced mainly that time. Mm -hmm. And then just, uh, you know, at home because home studio recording in 1998, 1999 wasn't unheard of. Okay. But there weren't many people doing it. Right. Not like today, where it's like, like it is so accessible. It's insane right now. Yeah. But this was the start of it. That was the start of it. Like a high school kid could get a computer and, and make music. Which is amazing. Uh, yeah. At that time, it was, for me, Sonic Foundry Acid 2.0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that became Sonar. That was, I think that was, that, was a, that was a Sonar project, right? I think that's correct. Uh, or no, Sony Vegas. I forget what they did. I don't know. Anyway, so, and then, you know, I, I, I just, I've been working in Logic now, Logic for, for Apple, but yeah, then 2000 and... Um, you were at Indiana State 
And then I think that you uh, left. Bloomington, Indiana University, yeah. Yeah. And Indiana then, State's a different college, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, but I think that you were at that time period. Yeah, so, man, I, I started doing visual art around that time. Like, I was painting, and I was doing these, like, really wild, like, violin performances with this Ben Jam and Jam and Man violin duo, who I need to do a shout-out to. And I also have to shout-out to George G, because that's just, I, I just, George G, you know, he's just awesome. He, and so, <laughs> yeah, Ben Jam and Jam and Man violin duo, we were just doing grindcore violins at hardcore shows all around the Midwest. Uh, that's uh, awesome all, as well. And I was getting I'm an old hardcore kid plan and like, yeah, yeah. It's Hell like, yeah. I was, I was, you know, the I think at that time, you know, like, so I was really into the hardcore scene in Indiana and just, I worked with a band called Harlot 666. I didn't get like any credit, but basically they recorded in my bedroom, but also some indie bands out of there. So you leave. So where's the transition point, I guess, from that program in Indiana where you're studying composition, right? Music composition. Yeah, yeah. Where's the transition point from that? Like you're getting into all these different arts, you're getting into visual arts, you're getting into now electronic music exposure from the rave scene. You're exposed to grunge music from your personal listening and then you start performing at these hardcore and grindcore shows. So you're just getting exposed to such a huge array of creative in music and art. And I'd say that it sounds like all of it is really on the offense. Like none of it is really trying to be safe. All of it yeah. is really trying to be on the offense of like, how can I push this shit? How can I mix things up? Where's the transition point, I guess, from that school and time period in Indiana to the next point? Cause I know that you move around a, a lot basically. Mm. Yeah. So the transition point is actually when I, when I went to graduate school, I would say like, so around 2004, 2005, I got involved with the European Graduate School in Switzerland. I would go there every summer. I, I spent five years, five summers there. And ended up with my PhD. And it was over the course of like eight years. So I was, I was there for two years. I was, and I was there for like a year. And then I took a couple of years off for my, for my thesis. And I was there for two more years, that kind of thing. Wow. And that really solidified the kind of the theories behind what I was doing. And so I could really understand what I was getting involved with. What was the work in and what was the PhD in without going, obviously, I'm sure that's very far in depth, but just so people can get a context. Yeah, sure. So my PhD is in philosophy, mostly philosophy of science. It was my master's degree that I, around that time, which was more of a communications degree. And I was arts communications, theory of communication more. Cool. Whereas my PhD is philosophy of science and, and talking more about the math and, and the computer science work that I, I was talking about that stuff, the philosophy of the work that I was doing on mostly independently. Yeah. And that, that was at what year, J Mark? I did my master's degree, finished that around 2007, 2008. Sure. Around the time, around the time I was getting involved with the film industry. And then I went back for my PhD 2009 and I finished that in 2000. Or maybe I went back in 2010, actually. I finished that in 2014. Sure. Wow. Okay. So how in, so you're doing that in the summertime. First of all, that's also a really cool, between the master's and the PhD, they're like very interesting things to like intersect together, those two topics, those two theses. But I guess like where in the middle of all of that, how do you get involved with the film industry, I guess? Yeah. So I started a band called Secret Handshake back in, 2004. I don't know if you've heard of that project, but basically another guy came out with that name. He essentially stole my MySpace. I was on MySpace and then like, yeah. Um, what the hell? He, I had a, been using that name for a while and three weeks later, this guy comes up and is like, no, I'm going to take your name. Three weeks after I signed up on MySpace and he basically cut my... No, no, I'm sorry. Not three, three weeks after he signed up on MySpace. He, he cut my... He contacted MySpace and said, this guy's using my name. Without any proof, they just, they just cut my account. And I actually had the, I had the trademark for the name Secret Handshake. And so eventually, wow. after a couple of years of back and forth between us, you know, he was a little bit more developed in, in both business-wise and performance-wise. And so I decided... You know, maybe maybe I'll just uh, sell them the name. So we sold them the name, and that's actually the the money that I used to invest in the film. Hmm. Yeah, and so I sold the trademark. That was like the first. That was actually the first time I ever had any capital 
And it wasn't much. But in 2009, you can do a lot with 5,000 bucks, you know? Absolutely. And, Especially if it's liquid, so, right? Yeah. So this was actually 2008 when I got that. Before that, around 2006, the lawyer that helped me with the, the band and the intellectual property on, on my trademark name and, and helped me get my band out and things like that, his brother was the president of Paramount Pictures hmm. back in the 80s. I ended up working for their new project. I guess you could say I was a fun story. I mean, they could make a movie about that whole thing. <laughs> you know? Sounds interesting. And so, and then I basically started gigging around doing sound man work, different uh, Boston productions and, you know, independent, like low budget, low budget type stuff. I ended up going to work for Guy Madden around 2010. I went, I, 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 I got to boom Mike there and be a production assistant there with Isabella Rossellini. And I got to boom her. It was awesome. You know, she's cool. like this amazing like model actress from the old time Hollywood, you know, and just, just, that was, that was one of the best experiences of my life was doing that film, Guy Madden's movie. You know, it's called Keyhole. Yeah. So I, I basically, I was just doing all this stuff in film. I got that money from the trademark. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm at, doing this fellowship and I'm at Harvard and this. How did that uh, happen? Bought, how did that happen? Yeah, so so random. So, yeah, so in I was at I was at uh, European Graduate School, and I became friends with Friedrich Kittler, who is a media theorist and winner of the Siemens Prize for media, hmm. and back in the nineties for his writings on technology. Sure, and he really influenced like I a lot of the theories that I have in how especially media history, media technology and how, how we relate to technology. Sure. So he and I became friends. And I know you tell it's hard to become friends with Friedrich Kittler. <laughs> the way I became friends with him was talking about Cantor's diagonal argument. <laughs> that was, he's like, he lit up. He's like, I, I agree with you. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're on the other side, like the rest of the mathematics community thinks that we're cranks because we don't think Cantor's diagonal. I've got a, a whole thing on that, but you know. <laughs> but, that sounds intense. Uh, Sounds intense. He agrees with Nothing me. that so, I understand, right. but it sounds intense. Yeah, it's not for this podcast. <laughs> some, other, yeah. some other one, maybe. But so his eyes lit up. The cigarette that was in his mouth, he turned it the right way. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's, he's a smoker, but he tends to put the wrong end of the cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> but, you know, without the filter, right? The other side. Yeah. So, wow. So he turned it the right way, you know? And then he and I got talking and he's like, you know, if you want to go to Harvard, you go to Harvard. And he said, this is my signature. He wrote it in my book. He said, you can use it whenever you want. So I'm like, okay, I'll be, I'll be a Friedrich Kittler fellow at Harvard then. Wow. <laughs> so I just went there. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I showed up. Okay. <laughs> you just, you just <laughs> went to Harvard? I just showed up. Okay. And I'm just walking around Jesus. the IOP, the Institute of Politics. I'm meeting people. I got involved with a friend there. He's and a couple other people like, kind of took me under their wing. And we're interviewing all around at Harvard, you know, interviewing people to Institute of Politics, doing like media, media stuff there. Got involved with this media institute in Switzerland through Harvard and then basically working for them as an intern and all around this time. It's all 2008. And so I just kind of like through my, one of my friends that I was, that was kind of me under his wing and showing me the ropes at Harvard. It was his roommate who was Damien Chazelle. And Damien was working on a film at this time for a school project called Guy in Madeline on a Park Bench, which mm. was the, probably the most ambitious project for a film student at Harvard. It was the only feature length musical most most students would do like a, a short, right? Which you know, there's a lot of beautiful shorts that come out of there. But yeah, for him yeah. to put on, pull, pull, try to pull together a feature length musical with a full orchestra and everything—that's no kind of joke ambitious. production. That's no joke at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No budget, though. You know, just just the Harvard resources. Like he got a camera, he got some film, he got yeah. editing space, no money. Oh my god. So how is he going to get the orchestra if he doesn't have money, right? So, yeah. oh, well, this guy also just sold his trademark to Secret Handshake. And I still, by the way, the deal, just so it's clear, the deal with Secret Handshake is that I still own that name, Secret Handshake, and 
any and all other domains of, 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 so I, I, I use that uh, for some of my businesses in computer science now. So super mm. and, and also it, it's, so even though I don't use it as my performance name anymore, I use Jinmen because they use it, they use that. I still use it. Like interesting. So you got paid yeah, so, for that, for the name and you still got to keep it for business purposes and other things. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So you invested the trademark income yes, into his project for his working project for his film, his yeah. film education in Harvard yes. for his project so that for they his, could have an orchestra for, in this piece. Senior, for senior projects so that you could have an orchestra. And I was, you know, involved with, with the actual doing work. I was, I actually wrote, uh, I, I, took, I took the score that was written and I, and I did the electronic version of the non-orchestral score, which helped Damien edit before there was an orchestra. So wow. we went through all the editing processes, learned how to edit through the, uh, the production that I had made on my com- computer. We both decided that it wasn't strong enough for a release and that we needed the orchestra. So that's basically what happened. And then I came forward to make sure that the orchestra was, was there. And the trademark money wasn't enough, though couldn't hire an orchestra for $5,000 at that time. Sure, uh, sure. So we, I needed to raise more money. So we, that's when I, we went to Switzerland to work with this media science, media lab, media science company, basically doing sentiment analysis, open source analysis for different companies and banks and governments. And so we essentially took the money that we earned from that job. And uh, well, my, it was my money. <laughs> and then that's what put, went into the, um, that's what went into by the. Uh, what made you choose to invest in this project so much, Jamar? Because it seems like at that time that was a very significant amount of money for you, or needed money for you, and you chose yeah, to invest I, all this and then mm-hmm. invest extra time and effort. And like, what made you go all in on this one thing and like make this? It's almost like a pit stop. You like were like active in a bunch of different things, and this like was like a. T- it yeah. became like a target for you or something that you like honed in on this. What made you go after this? For that, a lot of it is just because I felt like things weren't working for myself, so I wanted to see if I could make things work for somebody else. Fair, legit, and you and did. I and believed, you did. I believed I, I saw enough of it to say that yeah, I, I see what he's doing. He's like putting together these like pastiche old school movies, and he's like you know like you can see there's there's a scene in there that's reminiscent of like not the bicycle themes, but what's the other? What's it called? The one where the pickpocket maybe it's called pickpocket, and he basically. He takes all these old movies, puts them together. And I just kind of saw that he was doing this and that he was really putting thought into his work. Yeah, you believe in that, it. That, and I saw that it was this kind of mumblecore musical. And he didn't know what mumblecore was, but I did. And so like, I was just kind of like, yeah, man, you're making a mumblecore musical. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. And I was just like, okay, let's do that. So where does this go from there? Yeah, you invested so Damien, this money. You uh, went to Sweden, yeah. to Sweden to get more. You get this, or you get the orchestra, and then what? What happens? Damien ended up submitting it to Tribeca. We uh, got to see it at Tribeca. It was awesome. It was a, a really cool experience. And then a whole bunch of other people got to see it. And it went on this whole for like a year and a half. It was looking for distribution, couldn't find it, but it was on the film circuit, film festival circuit. And eventually, yeah. somebody saw it and they said, "Hey, maybe maybe this kid can do something." So they gave him some money to do a whiplash short. So he had whiplash and he, by the way, he's an amazing screenwriter. That's like Damien is just an amazing screenwriter, like unbelievable. Yeah. And so he, he had this the script already done. They're like, well, can you adapt that into a short? So he did, took the short, he made the short with JK Simmons. I think it was that the guy. He, he ended up winning an Oscar for his role in Whiplash. And then Damien took Whiplash and, uh, and brought it to Sundance and it won Best Short of Sundance. And now they're like, ah, okay, let's, let's, let's give this guy a full movie. Let's do it. For, yeah. Uh, yeah. For a full movie. And that's how he got Whiplash into the mainstream. That's awesome. And, you know, Whiplash was basically, a, you know, one of a conservatory story but with like a jazz twist on it. Yeah. Whiplash for me, and I wasn't even in, like I went to undergrad for music at a state school. There were some amazing teachers there, but then I did my master's in like a conjunction between Berkeley and SNHU in music business. But down at that state school, man, I I watched Whiplash and I like, there was a lot of stuff that like, (laughs) I, I, 
I felt that, you know what I mean? I wasn't at Berkeley, but like the teachers were not fucking around at this, even though it was a state school. My drum teacher was like an amazing drummer and my, my theory teacher, especially like in like theory three and four. And then he taught us, like, we took like an extra course. We learned counterpoint from him and we learned some like really in-depth writing. And those teachers, like the way that, like the way that that one teacher acted in that movie there were many times where it was like, dude, if like I drank too much the night before and I came in and I was like hung over or like I wasn't paying attention or something and I wasn't with it, they'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. You know, like yeah. no, no joke. I would be playing something in the middle of like an orchestra or something and people would be like, get out of this room. Like if you're, if you're like, if I'm doing bad, they'd be like, get out of here or stop me in the middle of like sight singing or something and be like, do you even want to be a music major? And so when I watched that movie, man, I was like, damn, this hits hard. And I didn't even go to a school that like, this is like 1000 X. I just went to a state school where the teachers happened to be really, really good musicians. So that was intense, man, to watch that as a total yeah, side. I mean, to to, to be it. honest with you, my conservatory experience was like really different from that one. You know, I didn't really have that kind of pressure at all. Like, like for me, like conservatory just kind of flo- like flowed, but it was also kind of like, wow. By the time I was in college, I felt disenchanted with, and also disenfranchised from the academics of the school. Hmm. And that's why I switched from a music major to communications and then philosophy. What so, do you think led? To, what do you think led to that vibe that you're picking up on? The internal politics of of composition. So, yeah. like, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but you can't. Uh, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm just not going to go there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm just not going to go there. It's it basically people like me aren't allowed. Essentially, honestly, um, man. Honestly, like, I don't know where you're trying to go, but I will say that, like. I was a music, I was an audio engineering major. That was my major. And I had to select a music instrument, but my core, like I still had to go through all the same music classes as everyone, in the whole program. Like I had to go through all the theory, the composition yeah. and everything. But what I will say is that as a drummer and as an audio engineer, I was like the black sheep of the program, like literally to the point like where like for the percussion ensemble nights, we would have like clothing that we made or flyers and we'd start putting black sheep like into things like to kind of like poke fun because the program would like, like purposely sandbag us. They would literally like they hated drummers and they hated guitarists. They hated anything that was like contemporary music and they thought that it wasn't the same quality or the same thought processes or anything is like, you know, classic, classical music and jazz and things like that. They just hated contemporary. And so we were always the black sheep of the music program. Mm -hmm. And I just remember this constant internal battle, man, where like people would want me to fail so fucking bad. And I would constantly get an A on something. And then I'd be like, fuck you. I'm going to go play in a hardcore band, a punk band. I'm still going to write counterpoint. I'm still going to write like a symphony or something like that and say, fuck you. I'm going to write amazing music to your eye. Then I'm going to re- write amazing contemporary music to my eye. And then the funniest thing that happened, dude, is like after I got through all that program and I felt that shit the whole way through of them denying contemporary anything past like the year like 19. 19- 60 or something like they just froze at that point literally a year ago i saw an article about them being like you know we worked with one of our our music production people who's in hip-hop or something and he's doing really well and we realized that music in the collegiate level needs to have more of an entrepreneurial spirit so we're going to revamp our program and we're going to look at hip-hop and we're going to look at this and i was like Dude, this shit happened 12 years ago and you just shit on everyone in your program who ever thought differently to try to do any of this. And now in 2020, you're now finally saying that we need to look at music as an entrepreneurship or we need to look at contemporary ways of writing music. It's like, listen, I love all the stuff like we just talked about, like some of the composers. I still listen to that shit when I'm cooking or when I'm like having Sunday breakfast. I listen to that stuff. I'm obsessed with it. But like, we're living in a time where like, that's not coming back too. So you have to be able to write and think offensively. Just like I was saying that I felt that I felt that from your story, like you're thinking on the offense. How do I push stuff always? How do I always push shit through media or art or whatever? You're all it's from, from my vibe. That's real quick of knowing you. It feels like you're trying to push something always right with technology. Now you're trying to push. And it's like, that's what I got at least from my, experiences i did feel those pressures in terms of that like whiplash vibe 
but I was always the black sheep in my program. And that's like my take now, man, is like being out mm-hmm. here as like an entrepreneur, being out here as a creative, trying to create income, it's working and it's happening. And it's like, I learned amazing stuff that gave me what I needed in college. Like I'm a, a very, the musicianship, the ear, the like, all that stuff helps me every day from college. But it's like all this, the, the, the income or the work or the things that I'm doing now, that's self-made from the things that they would not allow in that program that they're now 12 years later trying to implement. That shit drives me crazy. And I'm sorry if that was like a tangent off of what you were saying. I don't know if that's what you called no, actually, no, man, but I was exactly like, damn, dude. Absolutely. You know? No, you, you nailed it because uh, I mean, I would say there's little difference about like, you know, we, we, we accept the contemporary very well there. That's, that's the only difference, but that's, I mean, the, the emotional feelings that you had very much coincide with what I was feeling. Yeah. And, you know, we, and the other thing is, I guess, you know, I, I guess I will go a little bit into why, you know, I was, I was dealing a lot with like a lot of mental like challenges at that time, like ment- uh, mental health challenges at that time. So, sure. you, know, sure. the, you know, so they, that's not really, you know, if you can't get through that, which I was having a lot of difficulty with, you know, they don't, they don't really want to, you know, they don't want to help you. There's, you know, they want to, they want to help you in a way that doesn't help. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I ended up kind of getting through all that and, and being the last five or six years have been pretty good health wise. And so good. Uh, it took a long time to get there, but you know, you know, I was dealing with a lot of substance issues at the time, you know, like from, from uh, weed to Ritalin to, you know, everything, man. Yeah. Well, not everything. I didn't, I never did heroin, but I never did Coke or anything, but a lot of, a lot of psych, psychedelics, as you could probably imagine, you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, dude, first of all, we've had a ton of people on this podcast of all different things in that space. And then also we've even had like, we had someone on to actually talk about like the modern uses of psychedelics where like, we kind of like buried them with like a lot of like the, the times through our histories here and, and now them popping back out. So it's an open conversation, man, in terms of that. But Absolutely. Yeah, right. so, right. yeah, I mean, for, for me, psychedelics is what took me out of depression. Like I was, I had untreatable depression for most of my life since I was 16 or so. Yeah. And it was, it was mushrooms that got me out and I was in Prague 2017. And at this time, I made a huge trading error and I lost a whole bunch of Bitcoin because of Jamie Dimon. I can say fuck Jamie Dimon for that. Like seriously, yeah, like market yeah. manipulation, you owe me my Bitcoin. That was the big, that was like a big, that was the big split or whatever, right? The big. September is my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. September 13. It was a, that was a bad birthday for me. But the whole, everything around that day was awesome. Like, so that was a bad day in a good year. It was the best year of my life. Good. And so I'm dealing with this depression still, and I'm, I'm questioning my own self-worth still. I'm like, I, you know, by this time I've got my doctor, by this time I've done things, I, 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 by this time I had an Oscar winner, you know, in my repertoire, somebody who had discovered, you know, and, I, and I'm just like, this, I'm, I'm sitting there on mushrooms, like just thinking about like the things that I've done. I'm just saying to myself, you know, I got to either shit or get off the pot. Either, either, either you're going to kill yourself or you're not. Sure. Right. Damn. Dude. And, and it just, and it just kind of hit me there and I was getting deeper, darker, deeper, darker. And I'm just, and at this point I'm like, you're either going to do it or you're not. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not, I'm just not. I just like, I came to the understanding. I just don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to hurt myself that way. I said, and, and so, uh, something switched. Wow. And all of a sudden, instead of thinking down, 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 I started, I was at that bottom and started thinking, slowly up because i've had these up, 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 up moments yeah and well you know that, that can only take you so far before you come crashing so i'm just like okay let's just take this slowly now and let's just uh you know you are who are you are you can accept yourself for your good and your bad and that, that was that was uh, that was the moment i haven't been depressed since and that was five years ago that's awesome that's awesome man good for you almost five years ago. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's like, I don't know how many episodes we could possibly talk about this, but it's clearly like, it's just yeah. a thing, you know, it's, it's a real thing. And, and it's good that I'm, I'm, I'm so happy I'm growing up in a time where this conversation is like this open, where it's like, I talk about times I've been depressed, talk about times when I am depressed or anxiety or whatever. We have, you know, like Olympians that are like publicly talking about this shit. We have actors and actresses and like rock stars and like, 
it's time to talk about it because it's not like it was never there back in the day. It's like, we feel like we have spaces that we can talk about this now and it's legit, dude. It's, it's gonna, it's helping people to have this conversation. So thank you for sharing that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I it's, it's something, you know, in my past, I would have talked about pretty easily. Now it's actually much harder because I'm, I'm much further away from it now, but yeah, I recognize yeah. because I talked about it in my past kind of, gives, kind of gives me permission to talk about it now. So um, yeah, that's, that's why. Sure. And then I guess, dude, like, cause we, there's so much that's happened in your past. It feels like very quickly we get out of all of these times and then how do you end up like right now you're hanging out in the Philippines, like kind of retired and still working on so many different technological projects. And then like, we should definitely hit on Jinmin because we are like heading towards the end right now in the back half. Mm -hmm. But like, how do we get from those moments some of these down spots here and then like get to like where you're at right now, which it seems like you said you've been like five years, like feeling really good. You have a really good setup in terms of some of your early wins and investing and things like that. Like what's this last piece that got us to like where you're at right now in that five year sprint. And now you're in the Philippines hanging out. Sure. So 2017 is when I started investing. I saw my bank account from, you know, by 2009 being zero, slowly going up to like, four digit. <laughs> and then basically around the time I was making my movie in 2015, 2016, probably gotten up to five digits of other people's money. I lost most of that though. Got five digits from Damien, invested in Bitcoin. And by 2017, I was into in six figures in my bank account. Oh yeah. And it's like, so, dude, really quick. I just want to like bring that to people really quick. Cause it's so cool to hear like like you literally trademarked like a band name or an artist name and then yeah. sold the trademark to make five grand. You With then work. took I the five grand the the, yeah. and invested it into his name is Damien, Damien Harris, right? The Chazelle, Damien Chazelle, yeah. Damien Chazelle invested it in his early senior project worth of work before he crushed it with some of his with like whiplash and la la land and some of his like stuff where he's like really killing it you get a return from investing in him early and then you take that and early invested into bitcoin and eth yeah. and it's just like dude it's so cool because it is a combination of like you just organically thinking about like these next moves but also like putting yourself into a position to like be lucky or be in the right space with the right people by talking, networking, learning, and moving and creating. It's it's so cool to keep watching you take the smaller thing and reinvest it to like be the next thing that you needed to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's been crazy the last few months. I mean, I, I've, I've hit my seven figures. And basically, the, the, the last four or five years, I've been doing almost nothing. <laughs> you know, like, like, not almost nothing, but like... But like <laughs> no, dude, I heard your project. You've been lot, doing a ton of shit. Yeah. The work is a lot different. I mean, I'm outsourcing that project from based on things that I worked on on myself. So, so when I was poor, so when I was broke and not, not having any money, I was, I was hardcore working on computer science and mm. I discovered uh, ways to, uh, one thing I did around 2014, maybe I was, I started working on a, my first blockchain project and that turned into basically a gray paper on how to, uh, securely distribute one-time paths over a decentralized network, 100% secured, so without any Diffie-Hellman brute forces. As long as you have a one-time setup, you have to get the one-time setup through, but then you can repeatedly do it through a decentralized network. So that basically sure. is the foundation for, for what's now becoming a relockable NFTs. So mm. one of the problems we have in the NFT space is that there's no... If you have your, your, your board, eight yacht club, you know, everybody can see it. And now that's its own like identity thing. So it works that way for that own thing. But a lot of artists want to be able to distribute their art uh, in a way that, um, that maybe gives some benefit to the end user when they see it in such a way that only that person can see it. So basically right. figured out how to create a relockable NFT for, for distribution of media. You can download a, an encrypted file and essentially have an access token that allows you to access that encrypted file. And only the people with the access token can actually Does see that token that sit in your file. wallet and your wallet connects yeah. to it and allows you through yeah. as a way to, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. That's like, 
I don't know. That's like that's like the next value step of like an NFT to me. Yeah, and and that'll be on the Ethereum blockchain. So um, right now, I think there's another company doing something similar. It's not as robust, and there's certain other differences. Um, and also, we haven't quite gone to the point. We, well, we've got the smart contracts done, and we're still working on the DAP. So we're our release schedule is flexible. We're hoping to release sometime this year. But cool. right now, I don't have a release date. So, but they're basically relockable NFTs is what we're doing. And so that's kind of an announcement, I guess, now. I was <laughs> so I guess, well, I have a chance to announce something, I as well announce it, right? But it'd be yeah. great for musicians if you want to put your music up. This is a new distribution platform to, to do that. And, and there's also ways you can combine it with like a social community and so, uh, you know, through the blockchain space. And, so know, honestly, yeah. dude, like, and yeah, and like, Obviously, I know that you don't have things like shoot out then, but like for people who are listening that are interested in this, as you start following me into NFT and crypto land, if that's what you're digging on some of the things that I'm up to, I'm dropping like a clothing brand that is focused on like literally like building confidence in people who are creatives to to pursue what they're after. That's the point of the brand basically. But in that, I'm I'm creating NFTs in that to have these functionalities of ways to continue to work together in a creative way. And I'll definitely have to hit you up about what you're doing. Then I'll resend out to to my audience. Definitely. When you have your things out there to share, to make sure that anyone who's listening out there can get involved with the project that you're working on. Cause it sounds awesome, dude. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, we'll we'll keep you updated. We're, like I said, we're still working on the DAP, the desktop application and we're, um, but we've got the smart contracts ready to deploy. We haven't deployed them yet, but ready to go. And we're just maybe hopefully a few months before I can start testing the DAP and saying, okay, this, this is working. This is releasable. So that's rad. Little ways, little ways away, but two months can turn into 10, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll definitely, I'll shout it out on social or whatever I'm up to whenever you're ready to share it. J Mark. All right. So last year, man, because we're closing into the yeah, end of our time. Together. You got to talk about Jin, man, a little Let's bit. Let's go, man. Tell me about this. Tell me about this project here because it's really interesting. 2007 is when I came up with the name Jin, man, to basically be a way to describe my electronic dance music because it was essentially, I started to really get into the, like production. And then I, around, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was like, you know, I, I can rap. I can. Uh, by the way, I can't even believe I didn't mention that a television show I was on, but forget about that. Uh, <laughs> right? 2020, before the pandemic, so we're talking February, but after the, the news had come out, I'm like, yeah, you know, I can predict the future on this. And, and I know that, I know what's really going on. So basically, I, I, I made a, a song about the lab leak hypothesis before the lab leak hypothesis was even talked about. And it's called Who Unleashed the Virus? And then I took some of my old music that I never released and from, from when I was singing, and, and I called it This Album Killed J-Mo. Uh, you know, and the, you know, the idea is that J-Mo is this like, fake pop persona character that I developed, and, and, and that's the person singing on the album. And now Jinmin's taking over, and now Jinmin's a rapper. I don't know. So we might resurrect Jamo at some point if I want to sing. But, you know, but if I don't want to sing, he's dead forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's legit, man. So the, yeah, my next album was just all rap, so I'm all hip hop. So it's kind of a transitionary thing from like my my work on uh, I would say indie rock style, secret handshake style, uh, uh, Radiohead type influence rock to. Which we never talked about. We never got there, right? There's just so much, right? Then uh, to rap. And every track, I produced all the instruments. I did my own mixing, did my own recording, sang everything. So I'm the only one on everything there. I think I don't think there's any collaborator on, on my first album. Except uh, Evan Langley, who I want to give a shout out to because Evan's awesome and he helped me master the album. He goes by the name Cole Blue. At some point, we signed him to our label. Our label is Inman Records and putting, putting together more cool stuff later. We're going to be releasing more stuff. R- right now, I'm working on Space Skater with Evan. So Evan made this beat and it's just, it's just really hype. It's uh, you know, just kind of putting together his skills with mine and it's just it's just gonna freaking explode because of that this guy's one of the best producers i've ever heard cool. so yeah space skater uh, is hasn't been released yet it 
really goes into the story of what I've done, kind of, but it puts it in the context of Jinmin talking about the artificial superintelligence. If you if you read the lyrics to the albums that are already out, yeah. specifically Who Unleashed the Virus and then Soul Machines and then I Had Chains, those three songs really tell the story of Jinmin. And then Lick a Maid is just kind of your your basic trap, like let's see if we can get some kids to listen to this because it's sexy and whatever, you know, and they wanna they wanna be, you know, cool. So, you know, you know, get to that late teen de- demographic male who's like, oh yeah, the, you know. But I don't know if that'll work, but <laughs> yeah, the, whatever video you posted on YouTube for it a couple months ago was hilarious, dude. I don't know yeah, what that was. That was, was, that was, that was, <laughs> yes, I don't know what was, you did like, to organize that. Performance, that was a performance of Lick and Maid. That's what I'm talking about. That was the, that was the, that's the first song on Jinmin Rises. That's what I'm saying. Get, get, get guys to make clicks because they're beautiful women. Right. Yeah. You know, Lick and Maid is basically just kind of a, a song about sex and relating it to the candy lick made but it's the play on words because like you know like made costumes and stuff <laughs> yeah yeah dude that video is, um, that video was i was like what is happening right now this is awesome <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually happened that actually happened and <laughs> that was real that was basically me going to a club and being like yeah i'm a musician and my friend has a cell phone can we like can I get up on stage with these girls? They just I mean, let you do that. <laughs> yeah, just let me, I mean, I, I had them sign a release and everything and, and paid them a little bit of money. And then they like, yeah, let me get on stage and, and, and they let me do that. Oh I just kind of like, it was like that. There wasn't really much planning or anything. And just kind of like, and, and, oh my you know, God. Uh, we did it a couple of times. So you'll see there's a couple of different takes in there, but it's amazing. But like, yeah. It's, it was basically a live performance. It was a happening. It was a performance happening. It was like really. And then and it just like, I, I gave, and like, I brought candy with me. So I gave all these girls look at me and like, uh, and like Andy the hat. <laughs> so they, you know, and that God. really happened, man. Um, That's yeah, fucking that awesome. And, uh, uh, yeah, you, you have no idea what that also led to. That was like what happened after that. I'm crazy. I, I can't imagine, man. I'm sure that that was an interesting <laughs> crazy night. Crazy <laughs> stuff. But, oh, that was an interesting several months. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I guess, I, I guess I, I can be openly poly, right? So yeah, it's so crazy stuff. Crazy. Yeah. And, um, yeah. That, my, I mean, six people. I mean, is that is that a party? Yeah. That's a party, right? But I was the only guy. Wild man. That sounds wild, man. So good, good times, good times. Uh, you can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it too. You got you got to open your mind. You got to you got to take in a little bit of shame. Be like, you know, own it. You know. Make sure that, that you're confident in yourself and just get out there and, and achieve the things that you know you can achieve. And when you're rejected, okay, because you will be rejected, that doesn't mean, oh, they're, they're wrong. No, they rejected you for a reason. Make yourself better and then come back to them before you come back to them. Sure. That's my advice. Fair. Or move on. Yeah, man. You have to live life with rejection. You can't like that's an inevitable part of like, if you're not getting rejected at all, then it's like, you're not like living enough. You should be no, people should be saying no in in rejecting you. They should say your stuff sucks and be polarized on things that you put out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of my stuff out there that sucks, man. But one thing that doesn't, I have to talk about this project because it was one of the best projects I ever worked on. And that was the Informati Requiem with Ben Foley, Tim Ryan. that, That was Steve Catazone. That was, one of the most amazing things I ever did. If you really like Cedar Rose and you like, and you like listening to like expansive post-rock, the Informati Requiem, it's a hard album to find. It's from 10 or oh, 12 years ago now. I might re-release it because it deserves re-release. Sure. Jinmin though, a crazy, wild rap, developing the persona, developing the artist's look right now. It's, it's 20 years in the making, 25 years, 30 years in the making, but it's a very slow going project. And never always kept it underground was never supposed to be an above ground project pandemic happens decide okay let's let's flip the script let's not let's not just be the producer let's also be the rapper now that i'm a rapper oh i can use other people's productions so now i'm bringing on other people to help me produce uh so, so yeah my next album will be the first collaborative album actually no actually uh, lick made was collaborative we, i took on another producer for that song but the other sure. songs are my, my productions 
Dinescu, I think he's from India. Like I was chatting with him on Reddit or whatever. And he's just like uh, there and he's, and I'm just talking to him. He's like, yeah, man, you, you like the song. You like what I did with it. Cause I presented it to him after he showed it. And he's like, yeah, you can have it. So he gave me the rights to it. A year later, he's like, yeah, I see you, you released the song and, and you couldn't figure out a payment system. I was going to buy it for like a little bit of money. So, so, so he's like, but I'm broke now. Can you help me? I'm like, yeah, so I give him double what he originally asked me. Nice. Okay, so it's yeah, awesome. So that, that was a good experience to be able to help them out. Maybe work with them again if there's something else going on. But right now, this, uh, Space Skater is, is going to be the next release. And Space Skater still have to record the vocals, but it's all, it's all, it's all ready to, to record. I guess that's mostly it. Just artificial superintelligence from the future. It's real. I'm not saying that I know it's true because it's like not religion or anything, but like, you know, I definitely created these computer science things and like consciousness, essentially, you know, if you, if you read my paper on a new foundation for computer science in there is a blueprint for organized consciousness, but it's not generalized consciousness. It's specific for a particular type of problem, but it could be generalized in theory. So Jay Mark, I have like six questions I ask at the end of every episode. If you're cool, I ask them like every single person so that, that way we can kind of hear like different people's answers on it. I'm gonna hit you with those. Enough, you're cool enough, you got it. <laughs> so first one is just like sometimes I get it pointed throughout the episode, but like why do you wake up and do what you do every day versus any other thing that you could do? I mean, I hate to say it, but I've got sleep disorder called delayed phase sleep disorder. Hmm. So it's actually one of the, and this is probably the most challenging thing I deal with in my life is waking up. I've always had problems with that since I was a teenager. And that, and that actually was one of the reasons that led me to depression. And then at some point I recognized that I just, I can't regulate my schedule. So I, I do two things. I wake up when I have to be somewhere and I've got a meeting like this, I woke up for this. And then I sleep when I'm tired and I, and I wake up naturally and even if i'm waking up at seven at night or three in the afternoon i don't push my sleep and then i work independently on the hours that i choose so that's actually the main motivation between my becoming an entrepreneur and mm. investor is because i can't work nine to five right because of my sleep problem right wow that's interesting i did not know that yeah well, thank you for waking up for this, man. Waking up for the Waking Up yeah, From Work um, podcast. How's it, that? It's, it's, that's, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge to get up for me, but I got here. So I'm happy to be here. Well, I appreciate having you, man. So what would be something that you maybe learned a lesson from, but you'd say like to five years ago or 10 years ago, you like, hey, don't do this thing. Like this thing kind of sucked. Just as advice down the chain. Yeah, this thing kind of sucked. Don't do this thing. Say like there's a J Mark out there right now, like 10 years younger than you. What would you tell yeah. him not to do? It's a tough question, man. Because I, 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 I kind of go through the philosophy of don't limit yourself, make mistakes. So I guess, I guess it would be, yeah, maybe just don't, don't you know, don't listen to the naysayers, you know, just, just do what no brings, brings you to the next step of where you want to go. Because I was sometimes just like on a whole bunch of different paths and somehow I was able to just kind of take all these paths and kind of make them work. Um, but I think for most people, so I guess if I'm talking to another me, I guess, I would, yeah, I wouldn't say that. But, but most people, maybe that's a little bit of a challenge. But if you, you got to finish something, you know, gosh, I don't know what to say. I don't want to live. No, that was all right there. Just a valid thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's definitely a better way for me to answer that question. And I, I'm not coming up with it right now. Yeah, but what you just said, I think was really valuable. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Flip side to it, what would be like the best idea you've had or like you're so pumped that you did it, you recommend doing it along the way? Travel. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah traveling. I traveled all around the world. Like I said, started in 2017. I started in Bucharest, went to Prague. So we spent several months in each place and I went to India. And that's how I ended up in the Philippines. I went to India, then I went to Thailand. And unfortunately, my dad died. And so I had to go back home in the middle of my trip around the world. Uh, but I decided after the funeral and after I got everything kind of situated around with these states, I said, okay, I'm just going to continue where I was. I'm going to continue where I was at. And then I continued traveling and I said, I'm just going to go to the Philippines and then finish. And I'm going to go to the other places I wanted to go, which are island hopping and stuff. And then I ended up in California and then Nevada and, and then back home to Boston. Actually, I'm Westboro. I'm originally from Westboro, Massachusetts. And yeah, yeah. I lived in Cambridge for a while, about six years or so. But yeah, this the traveling was was the uh, any anybody everybody should travel. 
Yeah. Just get out of that. Get out of where you're at. There's, there's nothing, even if it's just traveling to another community that's close by, every community is different in some way. Definitely try to get to another country if you can, especially if they speak a different language, just so you can experience yourself in, 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 a, in, a, in an area, in a, in a place where just culture is completely different. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Get out. Move. Experience new things. If you don't experience new things, you're not going to grow. And traveling is one way to do that. Yep. Hell yeah. We've, we've talked about that recently on the show with a gentleman whose family, they immigrated from the Middle East. And so he had brought a lot of that culture here, but then he studied in China and he said that was huge for him because he straight up could not communicate with anyone. And he's like, it made him grow so much. So I second that for sure. What would be like your superpower, J Mark? Like people would say this about you is like your power, you know, your thing Um, that's awesome. I I can uh, flare my nostrils. (laughs) That is very unique. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I can't do that. I don't think I definitely can't. No. I mean, I, I mean, my superpower is basically being able to come up with interesting solutions to complex problems. I like that. What would be like a resource that you'd recommend to the audience? It could be like in any of the fields that you talked on it could be just straight up like things that you enjoy or you got something out of. It could be a book, podcast, forum, YouTube video, movie, like anything. What's something that they should go check out? Something that somebody should go check out if, uh, in general, whatever you want, whatever you, whatever you like as a resource could be right now or something that's impacted you in the past. Yeah. The teaching company and online education, there, there, you know, always be learning and there's so many free resources and paid resources as well. You know, teaching companies, a subscription, I think now, you know, you can learn how to code from Google, just get it for free. They've got all their courses up there for free, you know, Plural site, these types of companies and this type of resources, MIT Open Coursewares, learn something outside of what you already know and get at least three things down. Because before, you can't, once you get three different things down and you've spent 10,000 hours on each of these things, I don't know which book that was, but you know, you get these three things down, you're going to be able to cross reference them. And you're going to be able to see what they have in common, even though they're three completely different things. Right. And then you're going to be able to apply your knowledge from those three things and their similarities to your fourth thing. I think it's easier. Right. That's awesome. And you have like more pots to pull from as industries get hit differently. You have more things to lead to different relationships that all cross pollinate. It's just a good way to, to people say that you can win. only be an expert in one thing and that's wrong. You can be an expert in many things. You just have to, cross-reference them. Right. The main takeaway from that is, yes, if you're going to make an income stream, you need to start somewhere with one thing and be very good at that one thing. Right. Having an income stream is very different than being a human being. And being a human being, you need to be well-rounded. You need to, to, to have some sort of sense of community. You need to be able to have, have things that you offer to a new community that that community doesn't have because that's what makes you valuable to them. Right. So... Uh, basically humans are more than just an income stream, right? So you're not just one thing. I love that. We talk about that a lot on here. We're like, that's what like makes each person like uniquely you, you know, like there's probably not a lot of other people out there that have done the exact same things and interests as me or you or anyone out there. And that's what makes you worth like hiring or engaging with or creating with or whatever. It's like, that's what makes all of us, the one of a kind thing that we are is by having, by being human, dude, by not being one thing. Like even when you have the thing that you are known for, those people are never like just that only thing. There's always more happening that you don't see maybe, or maybe they're not known for it, but it's like, there's so many things that make us up to be human, dude, that you have to. And, 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 you know, you never know if Jinmin is actually human or a cyborg. You don't know. Cause I haven't, I haven't developed the character enough to know yet. Fair. So. last man uh just where do people keep up with you and your projects and everything like that where should they Uh, they follow or check out yeah i mean that's a tough one because i'm i'm really i'm really not good at that and that's probably the main reason why i haven't been so as successful as i could have been in music sure i mean i was successful uh, behind the scenes but in front maybe not so much here and there i was but uh, i guess to connect with me you know I'm trying to take myself off of social media 
It does suck. Yeah, it does suck a lot. Off of Twitter, so I'm not on Twitter anymore. I kind of do have a my academic Twitter is kind of still there, but my music one's down. I I took down my Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I I, you know I I don't have I have an Instagram, but I blocked it because I I don't want people to see like that I'm really into like Gothic Lolita style and things like that. And oh, whoops. I don't want people to see that, like, you know, that's the kind of images that are coming up on my feed. So I definitely just kind of, you know, I definitely took that off. So you can't really get into my Instagram anymore. Sure. And, you know, see any other social media, I guess SoundCloud, you know, I got SoundCloud. Check with me on SoundCloud, Jinmin. I'm on Spotify, but don't listen to my music on Spotify. Listen to my music on Apple Music. I'm going to take my Spotify down because, you know, I I feel like they, they, they took my music they took the, the recordings and, and then the quality was degraded. Sure. So you, you listen to the quality of on Apple music versus Spotify. They also, they also re- removed my song from their playlist before it was released. They, I was, I was entered into a whole bunch of playlists uh, yeah. and then, and then they took it, took my song off the release because it had to do with the lab week hypothesis when, when basically the, the whole world was saying, you can't believe that. And now we know it, even though we don't know it's true, we know there was a cover up and we know that it, it's quite possible and likely. So that was taken down. So I don't, I'm saying, please don't listen to me on Spotify. But Apple Music, please. It, it sounds great. Sounds great on Apple Music. Cool. Well, dude, thank you for being on the, the podcast and waking up at a weird time over there and joining me for this, man. That was cool. Thank you. 